Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Everybody paying attention? Because I think you're all talking. Sounds like everybody's talking. You know, I don't care. Hey, it's good to see you guys. I hope that you're uh, hearing that God has already blessed you, that you're enjoying. Man, we need some more room in here, don't we? Well, it just so happens that in a few short weeks. <laughs> okay. You know, you know, we'll be in there. We will be in our new facility when God plans us to be in there. But here's what we're finding out, okay? There's God, and then there's the fire marshal. So, you know, it's a long story there. So. Anyway, uh, we're working on that. It's, it's, we, are, we are within, I, I'm not going to tell you, but it's very close. So anyway, I, uh, I want to say something very, quick, quickly, very quickly before we get started. If you're here and you're a part of Friends Connect group, if you're one of our leaders, make sure that you uh, stop by. We're having a, a training, and we're providing lunch, child care, down in the apex. Maybe you've been a part of a Friends Connect group. You've been leading one. What are Friends Connect groups? Those are small groups ministries. We believe that, that as the church grows larger, it should grow smaller at the same time. And you don't get a chance to meet people and connect with people in an hour, hour and ten minutes at the services. So that's why we have small groups. You do life with people. Uh, and uh, maybe you've uh, been a part of a small group. Or maybe you're thinking about leading a small group. Maybe you want to be a part of leading a, a connect group. And let me just say this quickly. We're redoing the way we do small groups. It's always been like demographics, how many children, stage of life, and all that. Now we're opening up to interest groups. Uh, maybe you want to lead a group, and we've got some guys here that like to ride uh, motorcycles. We're going to have a motorcycle small group or a connect group. We're going to do some other things. Somebody came to me and said that they want to do a, an overcoming small group, teach about how to overcome in life. So we're opening it up to people that, you know, maybe there's a certain subject or maybe there's something that you would like to be a part of, an interest group. We've got people that like outdoors and want to hunt. Uh, we're doing small groups like that, just interest. So be thinking about that, and, but you need to go through training first, and uh, we'll be offering trainings three or four times a year, and uh, the first one is today following the second worship. So you can come be a part of that. We've got lunch and and uh, I don't know, our church is made up of small groups. We've got about 250 people in small groups. So uh, that's, that's just something that's a heartbeat of our church. Anyway, want to promote that, want to be a part of that. Immediately following this worship, meet us down in the apex. Kicking off a brand new series today. Man, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'm not talking about the end of the world anymore. That's, that's, that's been, I know that that was, let me tell you something. That was a very hard subject. It's hard to talk about the end of the world the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, the, uh, the tri tribulation period, you know, the, all these things. But these things are in the Bible, right? So since they're in the Bible, it's very important that we talk about these things. And which, can you believe that over the, over the process of about five or six weeks, that over 40 people got saved? Isn't that awesome? Who knew, talking about the final judgment, people would think to themselves, hey, I need to get right with the Lord. And so uh, that's, that's just, it's incredible. But I'm, we're going to be talking about how, how God has called us to be lifesavers, that God has called us, and, and as we're going to dive into this, we're going to talk about the significance of every one of our calling. But before we get into this, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here today. I pray, Lord, that we will open up our hearts and minds and to receive what your Spirit wants to impart to our lives. And Father, may we grab a hold of our purpose. 
that your mission is our commission, that you've called us to be lifesavers. Open up, open up, uh, as we open up the word, I pray, God, that you will bring change in our lives. And this we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said... So don't eat any of those right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, go ahead and eat those right now and get the old package crinkling sound. Let's get that out of the way. Go ahead and have a few of those. The idea, you know, the idea is we wanted to associate. I mean, you get it, right? When's the last time you had a good lifesaver? And gummies don't count. Those aren't real lifesavers. Lifesavers are a part of living. You don't remember that, do you? You ever ask yourself why we do what we do? You ever ask yourself why we show up on Sunday mornings and, and, and we do what we do? You invest your time in serving. You invest your money. Uh, we, we invest a lot of money in what we do. We invest a lot of time. I mean, can you think of other things that you could be doing right now? now you could probably think of some other things that you could be doing. I mean, personally, my yard needs to be mowed because it's been raining like the dickens here the last few weeks and I, I, can't, get it, I can't keep it mowed. I can think of other things. I like to ride motorcycles. Anything two wheels I like to ride or work on. I could be doing that today. I'd be riding my motorcycle, my dirt bike, my bicycle. Something, right? I could be spending time with my kids. My kids are very high maintenance. Now that they're in college. By the way, I don't have a cheetah tattoo. My middle daughter, Savannah Vans, thought it'd be funny to hit my arm with a steam a clothes steamer. She thought that was really funny, so did that yesterday. Like I say, my kids are high maintenance. <laughs> Have fun at dad's expense. And we could be doing that. Our kids are in sports. We could be doing something like that. There's a, a number of things that we could be doing. I, I like going to the lake. You like going to the lake? Yeah, we could be going to the lake and hanging out on boats and skiing and, and doing all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but, and we all do that, but we prioritize our weekends with with being connected to his house. Why do we do this? I mean, I can think of other things that I could be doing on a Sunday, but I can't think of a better thing to do than invest my time in what I'm doing here because I really, really believe with all my heart that what we are doing is saving lives. And I'm not talking about in a spiritual sense. What I'm talking about, it goes much, much beyond that. It's a spiritual life that is saved that... that I know we get involved in the here and now, but there is a life coming. There's a new heaven and a new earth. That it, it's, it's way more significant what we do beyond this life. So what we're doing in this life is, is, is we're saving life and we're, we're giving people life. You believe that same man? The mission of our church, we are a community, a church community dedicated or committed to 
making disciples. And we think that that looks like this. To love God, connect with others, and reach the world. Will you say that with me? Love God, connect with others, and reach the world. That's the, the mission of our church. And we believe that fulfilling our mission, we believe that this is how we save lives. Why? Why is it important? Why is it important that we do this? Why is it important that we talk about saving lives? Why is it important that we look at our mission of our life and a mission of our church and we invest our time and we invest our resources and we sow into the lives of people around us and we are a part of connect groups. We're a part of serving. We're a part of giving. Why are we doing this? Because first of all, people are lost. There are lost people. Now, nobody wants to admit they're lost. In fact, you talk to somebody that doesn't believe in Christ and you say, hey, you're lost and you need to be saved. Uh, that doesn't go over very well. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that people that aren't believers, they don't like to be called sinners? If you were to go out in the community... Have some kind of event and say, okay, everybody who's a believer, everybody's a Christian, all you people over here. And all you sinners, all you unwashed masses, everybody else over here. Ain't nobody going to get in that line over there. Nobody wants to admit that they're lost. You know, if you're driving around in the car, your wife ever look at you and say, honey, are you lost? What's your answer? We're never lost. We just need direction, but we're not lost. I know where I am. I'm just, nobody wants to admit that they're lost. But the Bible specifically says when it comes to a spiritual sense that, there are, that people are in one of two classes. You are either saved or, or you are lost. Think about this. The Titanic, 1912, when it left and it was on its way to New York, it had four classes of people. The first, the second, and the third class, and then it had the crew. But when she went down over the icy waters of the Atlantic on April the 15th, 1912, there were only two classes of people. There was a list that was hung. It was those known to be, known, those known to be saved and those known to be lost. When it comes to matters of life and death, there are only two classes of people. Those need, need to be saved and those known to be lost. When it comes to spiritual life and death, the Bible says that you're either saved or you're lost. In Psalm 119 and 176, it says, I have wandered away like a sheep, or I've wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, speaking to the Lord. You know, we all at some point in our lives, I believe, have felt lost. The Bible says that we've all been, been lost. Life has a way of doing that. Life has a way of distracting us or pulling us away. Maybe a habitual sin has a way of pulling us away from, from, from being close to God. And sometimes we can feel lost. We get wrapped up in something sometimes. Sometimes we get wrapped up. We don't mean to. Have you ever met somebody or maybe, you've been, uh, maybe it's been a part of your life that, that you got wrapped up in something in your life and you, get in the really, you really don't know how you got there. You just found yourself over this and you look back and you thought to yourself, how did I get so far away from God? It just seemed to happen. I mean, I didn't mean to get this, this far from God. I didn't mean to get wrapped up in this sin. I didn't mean to get this distracted. It just, it just kind of happened. It's kind of like eating at Denny's. Nobody means to eat there. It just kind of happens because you didn't plan. Anybody can get wrapped up in something and can get lost. Isaiah 53 and 6 says, All of us, like sheep, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. God did something so we could be found. Why do we do this? Because people are lost. Faith Co., our church, is a body 
that is committed to help people find their way home. And by doing this, we believe that we are saving lives. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a lifesaver. So first of all, we know we do this because people are lost. Second thing that we know is that Jesus cares for those who are lost. Remember, his mission is our commission. Jesus cares for people that are lost so much that he came into this world knowing that he would be rejected, knowing that he would be murdered. He knew that the whole time, and yet he came into this world so people would be saved. In Luke 19 and 10, he gives his MO, his, his mission. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. It's his mission, his purpose, his passion. If somehow you found yourself in a meeting with the Lord Jesus, if you were to sit down with him, maybe you were to meet him over at Starbucks, or maybe you were to meet him somewhere in town, you were going to have lunch with him, probably at the Chick-fil-A, that's where he would probably eat. If you were to have a conversation with him, he might ask about your life, and he might ask how things are doing, and how things are going, and maybe he would talk for a second about how he's moving in your life, but then I believe he would eventually bring up the fact that there are lost people all around you because I believe that he's very concerned with the lost. In fact, I believe that the Lord is more concerned about the lost than he's so concerned with us. I'm going to show you that here in just a second. But I believe that in somehow, in some form, the conversation would turn to the people in our lives that are unsaved and are lost. If you take a look at the statistics, two-thirds of the world does not believe in Christ. Two-thirds of our society or our culture or our city. I mean, we live in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, and everybody's going to heaven. Everybody believes. But if you really nail it down to whether people are living for God, almost three-fourths of people really aren't doing that. Folks, they're lost. Jesus did a lot, and he cares about the lost. And if you were having a conversation with him today, he, and as you were talking, I believe that he would get a little bit distracted with the people that are sitting in the, the restaurant or the coffee shop that aren't saved. And I believe that when a waitress would walk over and talk to him, he would say something like, hey, hey, how's your life? How's everything going? And they would have this conversation, and I believe that the story would turn. Why do I know this? Because listen to how he talked to people who were lost in the Scripture. I believe that the, the, his, his conversation would turn to the condition of her soul. And before it was all said and done, he would invite that person to church. In fact, I'm pretty sure that Jesus would invite people to Faith Go Church. That's where he would come. If, I, 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 I can believe that. No, wherever he would go to church, I believe that every single Sunday that Jesus would be bringing lost people to church. You believe that? Why? Because he is concerned about the lost people. He died, he gave his life, so those who are lost could be saved. Luke 15, Jesus was talking to, he had just talked to his disciples about their purpose. And about who they were and what they were to the world. He first talked about the cost of discipleship. That, that hey listen, you're going to follow me and I'm going to do something incredible in your life. But I want you to know that it's going to cost you something. It's probably going to end up costing your life. But listen, you got to be willing to lay down your life. But here's the deal. If you lay down your life, you're going to find life like you've never found it before. But let me tell you something. It comes at a great price. And then the next thing he did is he said, now let me tell you who you are and what you are to the world. The first thing is that you are the salt of the earth. And here's what salt does. Salt makes everything better, right? I mean, you wouldn't eat french fries without salt, would you? 
You wouldn't eat any meat. Salt makes everything better. And then he says, you're the light of the world. What does light do? Light makes everything brighter. You make everything better. You make everything brighter because you're my disciples. And after he did that, we go into Luke, the 15th chapter, and we see who we're supposed to go after. Luke 15 says this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, you wouldn't do that if you were a a first century Jew. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't wouldn't eat with riffraff. You wouldn't be a part of the unclean or, you know, the unwashed people of society. You wouldn't do something like that. So what he was, they were saying, hey, why is he doing this? He's a rabbi. He should not be doing this. So Jesus answered their question, why am I doing this? Why am I around these lost people? Why am I around these sinners? He answers it with three quick parables. He says this. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep? How many? A hundred sheep if he has what? How many? How many? If he has lost one. Even if he's got a hundred. If one, just one sheep is missing. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country because they're safe? And go after the what? One that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was so. Just so I tell you that there is more joy in heaven over sinner who repents over the, than over the 99 righteous person who need no repentance. There is a bigger deal over one person who's saved than over 99 who are safe. He is concerned. I mean, there is, there is rejoicing. There is a parting. Strike up the band. Grab your harps. Everybody cheer. One person got saved. I'm excited to hear that when, when I look at the mega churches where tens of thousands of people get saved, and I talked to a pastor this past week that in one service, like 40, 50 people got saved. That's incredible. But if you want to start a party in heaven, just reach one person. You know what I'm saying? One person is that important to God. So he appeals to people first with their pets. In those days, sheep weren't just out in the field. They were, they were pets. They would sometimes, they would, they would have a favorite lamb or a favorite sheep, especially if they were young. So, you know, how many of you would say that if you lost your dog or you lost your cat, you would do whatever it took to bring that Animal home. Would you say that? Or would you say, ah, you know, that's what he gets for being stupid. <laughs> it's a dog's life. I get him his food and water. The rest, you know, it's kind of up to him. Stay out of the way of cars. They, they, can, they can be rough. I don't know. Most people, you know, they like their pets. And they would do a whole lot. To, I mean, you people that get your dog's fingernails painted or whatever, paw, shave, shave them, whatever. I know, I've seen people, I mean, you would, I've seen people put the little signs out there. They would go to great, awful rewards. Give money, people money to, to bring their pets home. He first appeals to, to this, and then he appeals another way, to people's sense of value. He says, or what woman having ten silver coins? If she loses how many? One coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice for me, for I have found 
the coin that I had. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus compares it to something that we treasure. Our money. We work hard for our money. What if your banker said, what if you, what if, let's say that in your savings account you had $10,000 and your banker or your, your uh, the teller calls you and said, I'm sorry, we lost your last deposit. You have $1,000 missing. What would, you, would you say, that's all right, I got another 9000 I ain't worried about that 1000 Or would you do a little bit of searching? Would you call them down there and say, hey, uh, hey, look, I don't know what kind of dog and pony show you're running down there, but somebody better find my thousand bucks. You know what I'm saying? We would. We would be just. Jesus says when it comes to winning lost souls that they matter as much as anything that we treasure. And if that were not enough, he takes it a step further. And he begins to talk about if we have children. The parable of the prodigal son, we all know this. He says there was a man who had two sons. And I'm not going to read it. I'll just tell you about it. That one of the sons comes to him and says, Father, give me my inheritance that's coming to me because I want to go away. And the Bible says that he went away and he spent his, spend his entire inheritance on wine, women, and song. And not much song, I guess. That, that he, he spent everything that he had. And the Bible says he got hungry, so hungry that he, became, that he sold himself and worked for a guy that that had a pig farm, and he finds himself in a pig's pen, and they're throwing slop out to the pigs, and he was desiring that food so much, he longed to have what they had. That's how hungry he was. The 17th verse says this, but when he came to himself, do you know what people lose sight of when they wander from God? They lose sight of who they are. They lose sight of the fact that, that they belong to, to, the, to God. And they, they are a, a son and a daughter of the Lord. He came to himself and he says, you know what? My father is wealthy and I can be one of his servants. And I will go home to him. 20th verse says, he arose and went to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. Why did his father see him a long ways off? Because his father was looking for him every single day. Why? Because the, the son was lost. He had another son there. But there was one that was lost. So, but every day he went out and he looked for that son. And he ran to him and he fell on him and he kissed him. And then they had this huge party. And as they was having this party, the other son came in. Or he wouldn't go into the party. He said, hey man, what's up? The father came to him and said, what's up? And he says, I have been with you all of these years. And I have been faithful. And I didn't spend your inheritance. And I didn't spend everything. I've always been here. And you've never thrown me a party like this. You've never celebrated me like this. And the father went to him and said this. He says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and now alive. He was lost and is now found. It wasn't that the father did not love the son. It was just that there is an emphasis on a child that, was, that is lost. Are you with me? It's kind of like if, if, if somebody would, would run up to you and you've, let's say you got three or four kids and you have lost one of them and you can't find that one kid. Have you ever lost one of your kids? I mean, if somebody walked up to you, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. You got three more kids. That's not good enough. The whole emphasis is on the one that is lost and that is what Jesus is trying to emphasize that there should be a, a priority. There should be an intentionality of reaching those who are lost. 
It's not enough. It's not enough to have, it's not enough to have 99 out of 100 sheep if one is lost. It's not enough to have nine coins if one is lost. You want all of them. And it's not enough to have one more kid if one is lost. The emphasis is on the lost. Back in about 2007, I was doing about two or three things, and I wasn't full-time ministry. I was in the car business, actually. I owned a car lot, and uh, I was phasing myself out of it, and it was going slow, and it's taken, I was about a year of phasing myself out of this car business, but the church was growing to a place where I had to make a huge decision. So what I decided to do, it's, it's, it's like you can't just get out of the car business. You've got to dump your inventory, and I had all this inventory. So I decided to take about, about 50% of my inventory, I'm like, these, these cars have been on the lot too long, and i got to get out of the car business. The church is growing. I'm going to do this. Lord, I pray that you prayed over it and everything. Went up there to uh, dealer's auto auction and dumped a whole bunch of inventory, and in four hours, I lost $10,000. I don't think you're feeling that. <laughs> Which was, you know, it's, it's a lot of money to lose in four hours, and I was just sick. I hadn't eaten all day, and, and uh, it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I, I went into a subway, which didn't make things much better, but I was sitting there, and I thought, you know, I unfolded all my, you know, my big piece of paper, chips, drink, and I sit down and eat, and my phone rang, and it was my kid's mother, and she called me, and, and uh, she said, hey, I lost the kids. I was like, say that again. She said, I lost the kids. You know, we lived out in the country. I said, well, they've got to be around there someplace. You you can't just lose kids. Look around the house or whatever. They're around there. And, uh, you know, what are you doing? Well, I'm I'm eating and, uh, you know, just they're there. She said, hey, hey, you need to listen to me. The kids are gone. They've been gone for hours. I have not seen them. I've been looking. The whole neighborhood is looking for the kids. We've called the police and somebody just reported to me that they saw a white van driving around the neighborhood. You need to listen to me. I was like. Okay, so I'm not going to need this food. So I threw all the food away. I walked over, I got in my car, and I drove as fast as I could to my house. And that was the longest 20 minutes of my life. I started rolling out scenarios. And you know that, that phrase or that, that thing that people say that the longer kids are gone, the harder it is or the, the less likely you will ever see them again. And I thought to myself, and I saw images, and I thought how, you know, what would you do and what resources would you expel in order to bring your kids? That my life as I know it could very well be, could very well be over. And then the phone rang about 15 minutes later, and I thought to myself, this conversation could change my life forever because my kids could be lost well it turns out that they went on a hike and didn't tell anybody my middle daughter who was 10 at the time my six-year-old son followed her everywhere and they went decided to go on a hike through the pasture into the next mile section and then they got lost and they were that's why we couldn't find them i drove up into the yard and as i drove up in the yard and saw this police and and saw all these people around and i saw you know him blaming her and her acting and looking all guilty and and everything and 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 you know there's you know it was like hey here's the thing at that moment it didn't matter who was to blame it didn't matter that that savannah was being you know being sneaky that didn't matter it didn't matter uh it not the only thing that mattered was my kids we're home, safe. I didn't care about anything else. You know, if somebody would have came up to me and said, hey, it's all right, you still got a 16-year-old daughter and she's cool. You still got a 16-year-old, that, that's not good enough. You know what I'd say? I'd say, hey, that, that doesn't matter. Thank you, but that doesn't matter. Right now, I got lost kids and I need you to help me. 
Or what about this? What about if my 16-year-old daughter would have walked up to me and said, hey, uh, can I get some lunch money right quick? Or hey, uh, hey, I need some money for my gas. Can you help me? I'd say, hey, I don't have time for that right now. And why aren't you as concerned about the lost kids? I need you to help me. And that got me to thinking, you know, I think sometimes the things that we're asking God for are a little bit trivial when it comes to the fact that he's got lost kids. And I don't want to diminish the fact that we need the Lord and that we need to, that we need to ask Him for things and He provides for us. He, he lets us know in His Word that that's okay. But I wonder if we ever, ever consider that our Heavenly Father has lost kids. And do we care about that? Are we doing anything about that? He's, he's very, very concerned and He cares very, very much for His lost children. And we're praying about things and we're praying about our lives and we're praying that God will give us things and we're praying about our own kids and everything and God's saying, hey, listen, you need to pray for the lost souls. Jesus said that. Pray that the Lord of harvest will send people into the harvest. Why? Because I've got lost kids and they need to be saved. He cares about His lost kids. You believe that? Say amen. And lastly, the reason we do this is because we are commissioned to go after those who are lost. That's what He has called us to do. He called us and He saved us and He equipped us and He placed us in His body, in His church. But He gives us this commission in Matthew 28 and 19. He says, therefore, go. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to go. Say it again, you need to go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands. Mark 16 and 15 says, and he said to them, go. Everybody say go. There it is again. Go into the, all the world. See, we have, this, we have this mentality that we invite people or we say, hey, people need to come into our house. And we tend to let the church take care of our evangelism. That the church is, you know, that we're, we're just going to invite people. And that's good. But there is some responsibility that he has given to us. Look at your neighbor and say, you are a disciple of Christ. And this is the marching orders of his disciples to go into the world. We go into our world. We infiltrate our working environment. We infiltrate our schools, our colleges. We infiltrate our culture, our society, our community. We go into our world because people are lost. And I believe sometimes, well, let me back up. It says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be what? Saved. That's why we're doing this. That's why we have a church. I'm excited about the fact that we're all going to heaven. We just ended that series, as I said before. We talked about the great white throne judgment. We talked about the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about what heaven's going to be like. We talked about the millennial reign. We talked about all those things, and that's where we're headed. And I'm excited about that, and I'm happy. But while we're here, while we're here, God has commissioned us to reach our world. And that's why he didn't take you out the day you got saved. I mean, wouldn't that be something? Okay, we're saved, boom, you die and go to heaven. No, he has a purpose for your life. Now that you're a follower of Christ, now that you've given your life to Christ, he has a purpose for your life, and that is to go into the world. And I believe that as Christians, many times we lose sight of our great commission. That's the whole point. I mean, that's the ingenious strategy that he gave us to make disciples, that we would have a church, that we would have small groups where, where, where uh, discipleship, takes place, that we would give opportunities to people to serve. 
And I want to tell you something. Life change happens within the context of small or connect groups. Life change happens when people decide to serve in ministry. I've seen it for many, many years, how people's lives are transformed. I've seen people's lives transformed through the listening and the preaching of the word. We come in, we are saved, we're discipled, we disciples others, we reach, we reach our world. And as we do that, it saves lives. And that was always his plan. If you believe that, say amen. And we get bigger, we get better. We get stronger. That's why we, want to, that's why we want to build this church. Not because we want more people, because we want to have the biggest church in town. No, that's not what we're trying to do. As we get bigger and better and stronger, we can build his kingdom. We can reach more people for Christ. We can have more disciples. We can baptize more people because everyone, everyone that is lost, is, it's God's plan that they be saved through his church. I want to close with this. People are lost. They're either saved or they're lost. God has called us to reach the lost of this world. He sent us into this world. And finally, we must go after the lost. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. May we, may we grow in this knowledge and may we grow in the action. The understanding of, of people that you've called us. and You didn't call us to condemn the world. You called us to reach the world. And I pray, Lord, that every person here, that we not only grow in the knowledge, but we grow in the significant, significant understanding and actions that it takes to reach our world. Speak to every person that is here today in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, you live for God. He's Lord and Savior of your life. But you can actually say, Travis, I haven't really done anything to reach lost people in my life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever won anybody to Christ? The Bible tells us to make disciples. That, that, that's, that's really what that means. To win people to Christ, to sow into the lives of people to bring them into your world and make them life changers like God has done in your life. Have you ever, have you ever led somebody to Christ? Or have you, has someone, let me put it like this, has somebody ever, ever come to know Christ because of your life? I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or anything like that. That's just a very, very important question because he called all of us to that. And you're here and you can say, Travis, I can say, that is a place in my life that I need to work harder, that I can do better. Maybe even in this moment, God is dealing with you about certain people in your life. Man, what if you decided that you were going to win two or three people to Christ this year? What if some people are sitting here that have, have the, the gifting of evangelism, that if they decided that they were going to use that gift, ten people would get saved next year? What if, what if people are around you? God has placed those people into your life so you would be an example and lead them to Christ. What if that? If that's something that's 
concerning to you and you want to grow in that and you want God to use your life, maybe, maybe God to open your eyes to people around you and you want to be a soul winner, a lifesaver, I want to pray with you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person that's here and I thank you for your word that, that quickens our heart, Lord. This, this message convicts me tremendously. It's not enough to preach. It's not enough to lead. I have been called to be a lifesaver, a soul winner. You've called me to that, to make disciples. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to open up our eyes to see the people around us and maybe see people the way you see them. Your children that are lost. And as we do, Lord... Faith Code Church becomes soul winners. We are a soul winning church that we save lives. And Lord, you can trust us. We can grow to a place where you can trust us to send us people that need you. May we grow in this and may we fulfill the destiny you've called us to be and save lives in Jesus' name. If you believe that and receive it, say amen. I'd like for you to continue to bow your heads. I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here today and you don't know Christ and he's not Lord and Savior of your life, maybe you're sitting here and and you have never invited Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. I've never said the words, Jesus, be Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in you, Lord. And if that not be the case, my friend, you you have not crossed the line and become a follower of Christ. Or maybe you're seated here and you said, Travis, I walked away from God years ago. I want to tell you something. He didn't walk away from you. But maybe you feel like you need to return to the Lord and you'd like to rededicate your life to Christ. That's okay. Whatever your story is, if you're here today and you don't know Christ or you're here today and you're not right with God before you leave here today, I would love to lead you in a prayer. I won't single you out. I won't ask you to stand. I won't ask you to come down here. Nothing weird. You just pray right where you're seated, just as we just prayed. But I would like to know if I'm praying for people. So between you, me, and God, you can say, Travis, if you'll pray that prayer today, I'm going to get right with the Lord. I'm going to give my life to Christ. Let me know just by putting your hand up and putting it down real quickly. Can anybody say that? I see your hand over here on the right. Anybody else? Anybody else? Travis, I see your hand right there in the middle. Put it down. Anybody else? I'll ask one more time, then we're going to move on. But if you're here and you're serious, I just want to know that I'm praying for you. One more time. I see your hand in the back. You can put it down. Anybody else? All right, we're going to pray. And as we pray, if you lifted your hand, repeat this prayer after me. Mean it with all your heart. This is how you give your life to Christ. This is how you spend eternity with his church and with him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I am before you today, and I give you my life. Jesus, I invite you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in you, that you died for me and rose from the dead. I confess that I am a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. From this moment on, my life is committed to you. Today and forever, I will live for you and serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. That's great news.